happy Monday. This is the Bring the Jury podcast. We are back for episode 14. Um, this week we're talking about Alec Baldwin and the set shooting case that happened back in 2021 on the set of Rust. It is a uh, Western film um, where one person was killed um, due to a misfire in a gun that was loaded, a prop gun that was loaded with real ammo. And then her husband is suing kind of the whole lot. We'll get into that. Um, real quick introductions and where to find us. First, starting with Luke Sheely, Brian Sheely of the Sheely Law Firm here in South Carolina, offices in Columbia and Charleston. Um, from all things, from serious criminal defense to personal injury. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. We're also streaming on Spotify, Google, all the places to find podcasts. Apple still pending. Um, Apple's a tough one. <laughs> so feel free to follow us on all of those. Um, and also, new update for those of you who have been with us kind of since the beginning. We now have an option to donate. So if you would like to keep us fueled with coffee or beer on Fridays, um, you now have the option to do so. Those links can be found on any of our social platforms um, to donate with Buy Us A Coffee. Um, you can do one time or recurring, and we greatly appreciate it. So my spiel's over. I'm going to hand it off to these guys. We missed Brian last week. Um, I think Luke and I did a great job, but we are glad that you're back. <laughs> I almost want to jump in and, you know, like give you some likes or shares or anything, but I thought, you know, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to promote. It's like wearing the t-shirt of the band you're going to go mm. see. So I don't want to be that guy, but yay, I'm back here. Um... I can't remember why I couldn't be there before. Oh yeah, I was doing lots of real, real work. Um, so we we're just kind of joking. I mean, we've been, we have been covering a lot of another Alec, Alec Murdoch, and now we're we're covering Alec Baldwin. Um, totally different situations. I mean, you know, Hannah kind of introduced us in a really good way here. I mean, this is a major studio production um, movie, Russ. Um, out in New Mexico, 2021, you know, and every now and then, every decade or so, you'll see a fatality um, on a shooting, a shooting set. I mean, notably, we're thinking of, like on the set of The Crow. Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee. Um, Bruce Lee's son died, you know, where a live round was placed in, you know, instead of a, a, a prop style round. And he died. Yeah, Google that. Yeah. Um, all kinds of movies with deaths. Didn't someone die on E.T.? That was a... That movie terrified me back in the day. That was a helicopter crash, um, I believe. But yeah, I mean, this kind of stuff happens. And you know, normally you'll see a lot of civil litigation swirling around. It's a tragedy, for you know, sure. Terrible, tragic events like this. Um but you don't often see Brandon Lee, Roy Kinnear, Vic Morrow. John Ritter didn't die on the seven. Never mind. And there's a lot of stunt doubles or Oh yeah. But anyway, continue. So the you know, the reason this is worthy of, you know, discussion in our you know, as criminal defense lawyers is that you know the the, the district attorney in the county 
where this occurred, um, thought long and hard about it and brought criminal charges. Um, you know, she brought a five-year felony allegation. And, th- and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, the, the type of charge she brought was very controversial at the time. But basically, she's charging Alec Baldwin with kind of having a willful disregard for the safety of other people while using a firearm. And so when this happened, Alec Baldwin, you know, kind of did, you know, what you expect Alec Baldwin to do. He was very emotional. You know, they immediately called 911. Local law enforcement arrived on the scene and started interviewing everyone. I mean, they, they transported the victim in this case, Miss um, Hutchins, who was, you know, a cinematographer on for the, for the movie, along with Joel Sousa, who was like a writer and director. So the you know the basically Alec Baldwin was practicing with a four, an actual forty five revolver and Luke's going to want to talk about the difference between a revolver and you know semi automatic and why they are much more reliable but still can have problems. But he was practicing his scene. He was doing the quick draw stuff. Miss um, Hutchins and Joel Sousa were helping him and were inviting him to essentially practice with them. And he was doing that, and he was given um, a firearm by the, the set armorer, who was also charged under this criminal statute, and he was told it was, it was cold. This is a cold gun, and typically that would indicate in industry terms that it, there are no live rounds in it. And so, you know, you, you know, we've done some research, and a lot of people may know this, but they like to use blanks, like prop blanks, that look like there's actual something being fired as opposed to just clicking, you know, empty kind of air. And so that's, you know, part of the production value, but in Alec Baldwin's weapon were live rounds. Um, not all of them, per my reading, but, but some of them were live. Um, and one bullet that he shot passed through the chest of Miss Hutchins and then went into the body of Joel Souza and essentially she died uh, a fatal gunshot wound to her and then Joel Souza the director you know the presumably the bullet slowed down enough when it passed through Miss Hutchins and he it lodged in his back and he was able to be treated and released from the hospital but that's basically the facts. I mean, they they did get training. I mean, of course, this is a big production. There's um, kind of union standards. I mean, you got to have an armorer that has specific training. In this case, the armorer only had done one movie bef- prior to this, so she was green, so to speak. You know, Alec Baldwin is a big deal. He's a big big Hollywood guy, and and that is in part referenced in this very lengthy statement of probable cause that really reads like a civil litigation complaint. There's a lot of industry standards not being adhered to. There's a lot of should have known better, lack of training, distraction. But bottom line is they charged the armorer with not you know, with basically giving Alec Baldwin a live gun and they charged Alec Baldwin with shooting a gun but will not using the industry standard methods of basically don't point, even with a blank, don't point at anyone unless you're ready to 
be prepared to kill that person, essentially, even with a blank. Um, I'll just weigh in here since I asked myself a question. Uh, I wonder how many people have died on set. So it's like... Are we getting ready to be shocked? Just absolutely This is shocked. just a sampling. And it, you can go... I encourage everybody to go to Wikipedia. And it has like from 1910s on. I just went into 2000s just to see you know, more modern stuff. And there's it's replete with tons of actors that we all know and love having some serious injuries. Torn ACLs. Um, infection, broken fingers and legs, all this stuff, no one charged, but that's, you know, maybe accidents. But in terms of death, I mean, we all know and love the 2000 movie Dinosaur. Not really, but crew member killed, another seriously wounded when the camera boom struck a cross-country power line. Oh, that sounds like some serious negligence. I don't hear about... Is that done with a reckless disregard? I don't hear about the prosecution in that case. Um... I dare you, the ultimate challenge, the 2000 movies, there's a stuntman, Michael Brady died after preparing his stunt in Benson, Arizona. He accidentally slipped off a train, boxcar, hit his head on rocks below, in a coma, took a, taken off life support, proof of life, the 2000s movie. We're still just in 2000. David Morse's stand-in, Will Gaffney killed while riding on a truck that drove off a mountain road. <laughs> Taxi 2, I mean, Taxi 1 was great, but Taxi 2 was really good. A, a, Peugeot, a Peugeot car was supposed to land in a pile of cardboard after a stunt, but missed and hit several crew members. A cameraman died of internal injuries, and another assistant broke both legs. Uh, X-Files. Everybody knows the X-Files from 2000. Crew member Jim English, killed by electrocution when scaffolding he was standing on, came into contact with a high-tension power line. That sounds like an unsafe set. I don't hear anything about a high-profile prosecution. Uh, exit wounds, 2001. So that was like five or six I just reeled off from 2000. Exit wounds is the name of the movie? Yeah. You know the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, chase scene. Stuntman Chris Lemon and another man were supposed to roll safely out, but Chris struck his head, dying six days later. Um... Da, 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 da. The Messenger, 2002, Russian actor and director, Sergei Bodrov. Ooh, the Lord of the Rings, who died? Hold on. Members were killed in a rock ice slide after finishing the second day of shooting. Uh, here's Winona Ryder, broke her arm in three places, no one cares about that. Lord of the Rings, uh -huh. Viggo Morrison broke his toes. All right, all right, all right. I'll stop with Triple X. Vin Diesel stuntman died after during filming a scene where he was supposed to rappel down a parasailing line, but land on a submarine. But instead, he missed and hit a bridge at high speed. Did you know that Vin Diesel has a twin brother? Yes, I did know that. And he's like a banker or something, but still all jacked and cool looking. Yeah, twins. Did you know that? I didn't. Um, Actually, I think I did maybe know that. So maybe not. Unfortunately, dying on scenes of films is tragic. It does happen because you can imagine, as you all know from loving movies and things, that you've got, you don't get all this action and gore and suspense and thrills without large things moving, guns being fired, trains moving, buses moving, planes moving, and injuries happen like in a lot of workplaces. So, let's just have that for a backdrop. But factually, terrible accident, 
and, and it happened in a church on so the the set of this movie had a, a church scene so i mean it's happening in this church they were asking for alec to practice with them as they're trying to get the visual of the shot right and and he did it and he thought he had a, a cold gun and he and he um let's talk about it you know really after this happened he's talking to everybody law enforcement comes to the set and he's he's approaching law enforcement and so in the statement of probable cause one of the things they latch on to right away is the fact that he's giving inconsistent statements hannah <laughs> was alec baldwin watching our reoccurring friday social media reel no and if you're not familiar with our reoccurring friday segment it is shut the beep up fridays what does that mean it, it's a beautiful phrase and it and it rips it's a so, wonderful phrase so it's like kuna matata and shut up fridays so i have this 25 page probable cause document the only thing that really has any meat to it are the statements of a now defendant alec baldwin he initially approaches law enforcement of course he's very emotional We've seen video of him crying and he's saying, I'm the one that pulled the trigger. You're going to want to talk to me. And then when he gets his stuff together, or, yeah, I think the exact quote was like fired. I'm the one that dot, fired. Dot, 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 right. I'm the one that fired. Then when he gets himself together and he does give a, a, a video recorded interview. Some people may call it a, an interview. Some people call it, an interrogation when someone's dead and you're being recorded and asked questions by law enforcement however soft it is it's it an good it's an interrogation so then he later gives a bunch of public statements where he's saying i never pulled the trigger the gun must have discharged accidentally there must be a malfunction so that's a 180 degree difference that's a lie right so you can't say i pulled the trigger i fired the gun and then it must have gone off accidentally and, you know, if we were his defense team, we'd be saying, well, he didn't mean to lie. He knows a bullet came from his weapon that was supposed to be a prop bullets. He knows that he killed someone that he probably had a, a very good, close relationship with on that set. And he's very distraught. He didn't mean to lie, but he certainly is not saying the same thing. You can't say the same thing twice. You can't say the same thing three times the same way. And so that's the... That's what they call the, his inconsistencies as part of the probable cause hmm. package for why they sought these warrants. Because the rest of it is BS. So what should he have done instead he when should, the police pulled him and said, he, can we ask you a few questions? He should have instantly been on the phone with his lawyers and said, listen, you're not going to give a statement on this. There's witnesses to this mm -hmm. event. Everyone's going to talk about how it unfolded, but you're not going to give statements to law enforcement. And that's, you're right. You don't have to do it in a nasty way. Of course, they want answers. Let them know you're going to cooperate. Send your request to my people. Whether it's an Alec uh, Baldwin who's got people or whether it's just Joe Schmo on the street who just needs to say, look, I don't want to talk right now without a lawyer. Because like Brian has, has laid out through their probable cause document, those inconsistencies feature heavily, but... They're not there for any reason other to make him look suspicious because the way they've charged him, you know, with involuntary manslaughter in, in New Mexico, it just says involuntary manslaughter consists of manslaughter committed in the commission of an unlawful act, 
not amounting to a felony. So that's not what we have here. And so that could be like driving really recklessly, but you do, but you hit somebody unintentionally and someone dies or in the commission of a lawful act, which might produce death in an unlawful manner or without due caution and circumspection. So that might be just driving with really bad brakes that you knew were bad. You're going the speed limit, but you just couldn't stop fast enough. So here they're saying that they're not disputing that he was told this was a cold gun or that he's an actor who was practicing the scene that requires pointing a gun in a close-up manner. They're just saying that due to all these fail-safes of industry standards and acceptable practices from an armorer who's passing a gun to him who's an actor but he's also a producer, that the lack of checking that's your, your involuntary manslaughter. So really, his inconsistencies are just gravy that they want to say, You're, you must be up to something, but they don't have anything to do with the elements of the crime. But they still, prosecutors love inconsistencies so much that they can't help but put it in there when I think it's really irrelevant. So the inconsistency, again, that they've referenced here is he approached the responding officers and said he was the one who, quote, fired the gun and then later off is giving press statements that it had just gone off. And so basically what the prosecutors do to supplement their catching him in a lie, gotcha moment is they even, they look at promotional posters for the movie. Cause he's saying, he, he's basically saying I would never like manipulate the trigger. I know better, et cetera, et cetera. And they go, Oh, look at this movie poster, your hands on the trigger. You know, look at the, the even, you know, seriously, look at other movies where he's held a gun and he has his his finger on the trigger to say, this is what you do, man. Don't try to say you don't do this, which is absurd to us. It's kind of like, yeah, of course, he's going to put his finger on a trigger in a movie, you know, bang, bang. But like bottom line is he shouldn't be giving press statements when they're burying people. That's so crazy because this is this is art. This is entertainment. And none of you are going to pay whatever the going rate of going to movies is today. What is it, 25 bucks or something <laughs> to go to a movie? And then you're going to spend $30 on popcorn and a drink. None of you are going to go to a great movie with a great actor who's being so safe with his prop gun that he won't even actually really pull the trigger in the movie for fear that he might hurt somebody. You're not going to watch that movie because it's not going to be realistic for him pretending to shoot a gun. It has to feel real for us to want to watch the movie. So it's such a ridiculous argument to say that you claim to be a man of safety. You claim to be someone who knows firearms. And yet, you know, I've seen you in movies actually pull the trigger. That's just crazy that that was put in an official probable cause document. Just to say, it's probably likely that he had his finger near the trigger in this. This is a, really a negligence case. So let's talk about the evidence, though. Yeah. So, like, the lie, or not the lie, the just inconsistent statement. It's not, he's not trying to lie. He's just saying it differently, and the DA's office is now calling it a lie. Let's get it straight. Right. He's not lying. They're calling it a lie because he gave a statement. If he had never given a statement, they can't call it anything. But what they then do is they get search warrants based on probable cause. And they get a search warrant of obviously the entire set. 
And on the entire set of a Western style movie with lots of prop guns and prop ammunition, they find six live rounds on the entire set. The entire set. And one of them, there was basically two on Alec Baldwin's person, on, on the on the like holster of this Colt 45 gun. So one was, you know, in the gun and one was on like the bullet kind of holster. Um, they found one there and then they found four other live rounds throughout the entire set, random places. So that, I mean, it's problematic if you got live rounds on a set of a Western where there's like shootouts, right? So the other thing they do is they go to the prop uh, provider, the firearms prop provider, um, the company that is called PDQ Arms and Prop in Albuquerque. And they do a search warrant of the entire uh, business of this prop business and they find some live rounds there. Um, they actually find a number of live rounds at this business, which is presumably selling fake, fake bullets, not real bullets, right? And so they seize those and then they do an explosives chemistry examination of the gunpowder within those bullets to see if they could match it and say you, and again, this is like civil negligence, right? This, this probable cause packet is basically probably piggybacking off a civil wrongful death action that I'm sure is already filed. But basically they, they trace the explosive chemistry and they basically say this is the bullet that killed, you know, Miss Hutchins didn't have the same explosive chemistry in the gunpowder as what was used from the prop company that we found on their site. So they're, they're ruling out the prop company or else, you know, maybe some prop company executive is going to get charged with the same statue. I don't know. Yeah, it's more sloppiness. I don't know if this armorer had live rounds from a different set. You don't know, but it's sloppy. Um, it's ripe for a lawsuit, but there's a huge difference between a civil lawsuit for a tragedy. I mean, to me, I think about this, the same type of negligence, what I think about if a client came to me and their loved one had died after a tragic forklift accident at Lowe's or Home Depot, and did the operator have enough training? Did they have enough sleep? Um, you know, were they using it the right way? Did it, was there something wrong with the forklift? Things that, I mean, there's standards for every industry to try to ensure this doesn't happen, but rarely, if ever, would that forklift driver get criminally charged. Now, the forklift driver is, is probably not a, you know, multi-millionaire outspoken actor who's got lots of things to say in the public discourse about politics and former presidents and gun do you, safety. Do you think his profile has somehow contributed to his prosecution? hundred <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, percent. And you know, obviously I'm a long way from New Mexico. We're, we're in South Carolina, but we see prosecutors select high profile cases to make a name for themselves for various reasons, whether it's a political distaste, whether it's just, they know this will be the biggest case in 10 years in New Mexico and 
If they're successful, they can say that they beat a millionaire elitist who thought he could get away with, you know, you know, with get away without providing justice to the people of our great state of New Mexico. And it sounds great in a political campaign headline for governor, senator, all of that. I don't know the um, DA there at all. I don't know her from anything. But you have to think that some of those calculations are made when they decide to choose to charge in this way when, as I read, and you can read for yourself, all of the tragic deaths that happen on you know, movie sets and TV sets all the time. So no one is saying that Alec Baldwin, if he even did pull the trigger, did it on purpose. It's just the same as a forklift that was driven incorrectly or wasn't maintained the right way and it caused a box to fall on a coworker. Um, so it's just really baffling, but you have to think that the opportunity to take down a, a movie elite or a California elite or wherever he hails from has to be a driving motivation. You know, something interesting, when this prosecutor chose to bring this involuntary manslaughter charge, you know, for those people out there that are like, well, how do you charge someone? Well, number one, you got to have probable cause. All right. Well, they've basically taken a civil complaint and wrapped it into a couple inconsistencies and said, here's probable cause for a involuntary manslaughter charge that takes kind of a reckless disregard standard. Okay, fine. Well, what about the charge? Well, does it make sense to everybody that you should, one can only be charged with what's on the books at the time of the incident? Yeah. Why, yes. I mean, I don't want to be charged with something that was on the books 100 years ago. I don't want to be charged with something that's on the books 100 years in the future. I mean, that seems to make sense, right? So this prosecutor charges out Baldwin with something that wasn't even on the books until two months after this incident. An enhancement provision. So, that, so the involuntary manslaughter code um, was just an, it carried up to 18 months. In, in New Mexico. And then two months after this incident, I'm not saying it had anything to do with this incident, maybe it was just in the works, but two months after this incident, if you if you kind of did this reckless disregard while also oper- using a firearm, if a firearm is in play, all of a sudden it turns into a five-year, up to five-year felony charge. And so they came out of the gate with this big public announcement of the charge and also the gun enhancement regarding involuntary manslaughter that wasn't even in effect at the time of the incident. So that's a no-no, right? There's all kinds of constitutional principles in play here. Um, It also gives you a little bit of insight into their motivations. So they basically said, out of the gates, we got this new, really uh, trumped-up charge that we think we can charge you with, even though it wasn't even on the books at the time. So... Generally, there's something called a savings clause. Whenever our our state houses around various states in the country enact new criminal code, it basically says, listen, we're going to write new law and implement it, but like you can't use it to persecute people that have already have pending charges. If it's, if it's a more draconian or more strict penalty, and if it's a lesser penalty, if it's like reducing something that was kind of bad, mm. you can't use it to benefit people that have pending charges, right? Makes sense. Like you get what you get at the time of the, of the, of the charge, from the time of the incident. And they didn't do that here. And so like, so, Alec, so I was curious about all this. Alec Murdoch's got this very uh, 
prestigious uh, law firm, an international law firm uh, that you know does a lot of business litigation. Their website basically says they they are innovative business litigators. Their track record speaks for itself. They're just they're all you know Ivy League lawyers, um, and you know the lawyer for Alec Baldwin. I'm sure is a brilliant lawyer. Um, his name is like, what is it, Luke Nikas. And I, you know, his profile doesn't mention anything about criminal defense, but he does raise this issue right out of the gates. It's not that difficult to think about and says, listen, you guys can't be charging him for things that wasn't even a law at the time. Hmm. You can't enhance them just to bring pressure to my client. And so... What they did was they didn't like drop it and charge him with the eight, up to 18 month penalty that was on the books at the time. What they did was they said, all right, we're going to keep what's on what we charged him with, but also let the jury decide on the lesser charge. And they can pick one or the other uh, in the alternative. So they can't bring both, but we'll let them decide. And so a lot of the major articles kind of said that the prosecutor was dropping it down they didn't drop it down they just they just brought the the one that was on the books at the time of the incident back into play to let a jury decide but it is wild i mean it seems super biased though because then you already have it in your mind that like well this seems more probable and then you like would maybe be more likely to then convict right and who knows if that structure would even survive a pretrial motion I don't know that a judge would want to have a jury consider, knowing the legal challenge it would face, let's just give the, this jury a law that didn't exist at the time to consider for Mr. Baldwin. What is that um, movie where it's all about like future crimes? Um, Minority Report? Yes. With Tom Cruise? Yeah. We're gonna try, let's, let's punish him for a future law. Future law. Right. It's like... Right, they give people like the death penalty for murders they haven't committed yet. Right, and they just arrest them and get so them. So this is like the minority report of New Mexico laws. So not only do they take a very <laughs> civil litigation type tragic death, and they bring probable cause warrants in part based on Alec Murdoch. Excuse me, Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, Alec Baldwin. Uh, wow. We've done a few shows about Alec, Alec Baldwin, if you Alec Baldwin giving statements that were inconsistent. And then they go ahead and charge him with something that wasn't even a law at the time of the incident. Wild. I want to I talk about wild things with this DA. I want to tease what else they did, which is they got a special prosecutor involved. Luke, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, the head DA made a request for a special prosecutor and got one um, who was a former prosecutor and then went on to bigger and better things and was in the legislature. Surprise, you know, we're talking about political motivations. And so this special prosecutor comes back to assist in this prosecution. Um, by the way, they also my research shows that they requested an additional $360,000 from the legislature to receive to receive funding for this special prosecution to aid in, in this case. So they decided to bring a case that's tentative at best. And then they want to charge the taxpayers of New Mexico $360,000 more to aid in that prosecution. And, I, and I'd be hard-pressed to say that the victim, Ms. Hutchins, 
Uh, I, I would be hard pressed to say that she's even a New Mexico citizen. She's probably with the crew that came in. But anyway, the special prosecutor came in. Let's have a little civics lesson. Separations of powers. She's in this legislature, right? One branch of government. Also serving as a prosecutor, which is a different branch of government. That would be the executive. Right. All at the same time, there's a huge conflict of interest. So um, kudos to Mr. Baldwin's lawyer again. So motion number one was, hey, you can't bring this law that wasn't in existence at the time to charge my client with. Ding. Number two was, hey, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't uh, prosecute this person and then be serving in the legislature making laws at the same time. And so she, after that, now they did have a snarky comment where they were going to have her step down rather than bow, than bow down to the fancy lawyer. Do you have the comment? So the comment is this. pretty clever, but it's a little bit snarky. So... To avoid further litigious distractions by Mr. Baldwin and his attorneys, they basically got back to the old book, what was on the law at the time, and this special prosecutor stepped down, and they said the prosecution's priority is securing justice, not securing billable hours for big city attorneys. (laughs) Just big city, just fancy attorneys. Big city lawyers. They know all these laws and rules and... (laughs) Constitutional <laughs> separations. You're so fancy with their separate branches of government. Oh, so, you know, big fancy lawyers and all their separations of powers and, and not being charged by with future laws or past laws. Just the law. I, just, I mean, if I, if I were to do a crime, just charge me with the law. I mean, Don't charge me with some future. I was going to charge you with a law from the great state of New Mexico in 1812. <laughs> and guess what? Apparently you don't want that either. So, <laughs> so, so, so far I think they're taking a beating. And this, I don't, I, we're a long way. I think they got a preliminary hearing in May. But I, I would be surprised if this what's goes. A, what's a preliminary hearing like? So that's a hearing where the investigator or investigators have to testify about what probable cause they have to make an arrest. And the defense gets to question that head investigator through cross-examination. It's under oath. And if the judge doesn't view the case as being one that established probable cause for the elements of the crime, then you, it, it could be dismissed or it could be downgraded. It's not a chance really to present your whole trial. You're not really presenting evidence, but you have some serious cross-examination. You can lock witnesses into their testimony. But here, you know, they're going to get a lot out of this lead investigator and really cue in on this, but hard to say what will go from there. And I can't say I've ever done a prelim in New Mexico, but... You know, but this prosecution is... They're loaded for bear. They've executed all these search warrants. They're looking at movie posters from Alec Baldwin with his hand on the trigger. I mean, they're charging him with future laws. They got special prosecutors coming in. They're asking for, you know, $360,000 of of additional house money to prosecute this thing. The other thing we haven't talked about is due to Alec Baldwin saying later on, listen, I didn't pull the trigger. It must have gone this... Colt 45 revolver must have gone off accidentally. They get the FBI involved to basically take this gun and literally smash it with the hammer to see if it would go off and accidentally discharge. And the FBI 
throws it against a couple walls, smashes against, you know, beats it with a hammer a number of times. It doesn't go off accidentally. And they say, listen, this thing is working properly. So that gets included in this report again because Alec Baldwin made a statement when he shouldn't have about not pulling the trigger. Um, the whole thing is this. I got a gun that was supposed to be a play toy. And we're on a movie set. Right. It's a civil problem. It's a negligent situation with some failsafe. And yes, it's tragic. People die negligently all the time. It is not a criminal offense. And so that should have been a statement from his lawyer after the death of Miss Hutchins. Um, you know, Joel Sousa, who is a victim in this case as well, um, by law, isn't, you know, we don't hear, I mean, the movie's ongoing. Production has continued. And guess what? They've, <laughs> they've moved the entire movie to the state of Montana. Right. Uh, so maybe they're tired of getting sued and criminally charged for crazy stuff. Now, I'm a surprised the movie's still. A lawsuit would always happen. But him facing five years or 18 months over this. Yeah, I'm just up and move the entire movie with all its job creating potential and money into your economy to another state that appreciates us a little better. I mean, that's crazy. Like, so how about, all right, let's look at Alec, <laughs> Alec Baldwin movies. Heaven forbid he gets prosecuted for something he did in any one of those. Uh, here's one with a bad title The Last Shot. Uh oh. Uh, that's 2004 comedy romance, but he's been in so many movies where he's doing criminal things. Uh, how many of these will feature in the prosecution's case? Malice? Uh-oh. Ooh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, I love Glenn Shout Gary. out to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Great movie if you've never seen it. The leads are weak? No, you're weak. Always be closing. Coffee is for, for closers. Um, anyway, it's just... So the motivations for this criminal charge, you know, it could be political, it could be, um, you know, ambition driven. I mean, this DA has got to run, you know, to kind of fill her seat, to continue to fill her seat. And if this only passes through her jurisdiction with a civil, you know, judgment against Alec Murdoch, the production team, etc., and it's going to be a massive wrongful death payout, massive. But let's say she declines to prosecute because accidents happen and that's reasonable. And then maybe she's fearful that someone will run against her and say, listen, you could charge Alec Murdoch with... Baldwin. Baldwin. Gosh! Baldwin. Um, I mean, I like Alec Baldwin a lot. I don't know why I'm saying Murdoch. Um, but basically, could have charged could have charged him and you failed to do so. You're letting a big city liberal movie maker come into our town and kill people with impunity, and you wouldn't lift a finger for justice. With his fancy lawyers and their billable rates, you let that... You, you were scared of big money and big movie. And maybe she loses that election. Maybe she loses it. Maybe she does. And she likes her... So she doesn't want that stick to beat her with. But what has certainly happened as a result of this tragedy is this: the production of Rust is out of New Mexico, so all those jobs are gone, all those opportunities are gone... Um, and Montana is going to reap the benefits of that. I wonder. I know, we need to look up to see what uh, statutes they have on the books in mm. terms of nothing. Everything goes in Montana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you watch Yellowstone? 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like Yellowstone, right? Like you get to do a whole lot more than just have a willful recklessness about your about your method with a gun. But like this whole thing is ridiculous in my, our opinion. But I, I do wonder if he had never given any statements, would he be charged? Mm. It'd be hard. It it would be hard because he's given he's given evidence in this case by speaking multiple times. He should have remained silent. He should have failed to give any press conferences. He he could have given a heartfelt statement, you know, not all of his own, but through his counsel. And they wouldn't have any evidence of his inconsistencies, which they are going to call lies in a future court. And they, they're going to let it all hang out. They're asking for special money on this case. So what does a lie get for you? Nothing good in a court of law. Because if you're a liar... Then when they say that you ran a shoddy production set and you cut corners and you say, no, I didn't, they can say, well, you lied about that. How come, how do we know you're not lying about how you ran your movie set? How do we know you're not lying when you said that you paid attention during your firearm safety class? How do we know you're not lying when you said you hired the best of the best um, armorers and crew and everything else? So it's just a little thing that can really mushroom into something so much more right luke i think you were going to talk about a revolver versus a semi-automatic and well, yeah. how that plays well i just i don't know that plays and, a and, and also it's not impossible is it for a revolver to discharge accidentally on its own well no i mean so just generally a revolver you know it's like just like you would think in this set old-timey western 45 long barrel spinning wheel six shooter and you shoot it and one feature of it that is different from a semi-automatic is the the shell casings don't eject so it's great if you want to commit a crime and not leave your shell casing somewhere um semi-automatic are, are like what you think a lot of them standard modern police issue guns glocks and things of that they might hold more, more rounds, but they're ejecting shell casings. Um, in this case, you know, they're talking, they're making a big deal about the single action and how they test it. And you know, if you think about those old Western movies and you think about gunslingers that are doing this, and they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're cocking the gun, right? That's how they cock, cock it with the action and then they can shoot. Whereas a semi-automatic, you just pull the trigger. So it has to be cocked back. Um, and I don't have, I'm a gun owner, I'm a hunter. I don't have any old school revolvers like that. I think they're great. But um, I do have a Marlin um, rifle that is very similar to the old Western rifles that they have that lever action that you see. And again, when I, once it's loaded, once I do that lever, the action goes back at Cox, and that's that's live. If there's live rounds in there, if I touch the trigger, it could go off. But even to uncock it, to put it in a safe mode, you have to apply pressure to the trigger itself while also holding the um, cocking part and manipulate it back into a safe position. So if you just tried to do that and somehow messed it up, you could slam the hammer on and you'd be shooting a gun. I mean, the fact that the FBI tested it, I mean, that's great and everything. Um, and again, I think this whole, whether he pulled the trigger or not, 
or whether, you know, I think that's kind of a red herring um, because he thought he had a cold, unloaded gun. So it's more about industry standards and things like that. I went, once went to a shooting range with a bolt action gun, you know, that loads like a traditional old school hunting rifle and it just kind of like fired on its own. I wasn't touching the trigger. This was a really old gun. It was my father's gun and I was testing it and I didn't pull the trigger. It went off just simply when I loaded the bullet and put the bolt forward. And I took it to a gunsmith and said, hey, can you check this out? I love this gun, but I want to make sure it doesn't have any problems. And they couldn't find anything wrong with it. But I know for a fact it fired when I didn't pull the trigger. And they have no explanation for it. So the fact that the FBI did this, that's just to, again, to say he must have pulled the trigger. It makes it sound worse. But again, this is an actor with a cold gun practicing on a close-up scene where the production people and the victim, she's looking through a camera. And they're saying, shoot, go ahead. And she's saying, it's supposed to be a close-up shot of like the gun and whatever shooting. And so she's saying, point it, point it, I'm looking, I'm looking, and it went off. To me, whether he gently pulled the trigger of what he thought was an empty gun or not, doesn't really matter. Um, that's but this is, this is the mistake that defendants make when they haven't done anything wrong. They haven't... There's no requisite criminal intent, yet something bad happens. And so then they get away from what really happened and they give inconsistent statements to try to minimize what happened, feeling pressure to give a statement. And so Alec Baldwin would have been horrified at what happened, feels like he's got to talk about it. I'm the one that, the, that had the gun when it fired. And then to, I didn't pull the trigger. So like that's, that's an unforced error that law enforcement will call a lie. But what he did, in our opinion, was not criminal. It is a civil negligent issue regarding training, regarding how does a live round get to his weapon in the first place. Nothing criminal happened. And it is the, the lowest standard kind of negligent, unlaw, you know, it's going to be this involuntary manslaughter code. Mm. But like you see it in self-defense cases a lot when people... And we represent tons of self-defense cases where, you know, someone will be totally justified in saving their own life. You know, doing what they had to do to make sure they didn't die that day. You know, a woman that is being beaten to an inch of her life and kills her husband in self-defense as he's choking her to death. And then, you know, calls 911 and they come and then... You know, they're walking her through it and she minimizes her actions. Well, he, you know, he was on top of me and, and I stabbed him one time. That's what really happened. And then it's like, well, all right, a knife slipped. You know, you'll see that a lot. And, it's, and then they start getting inconsistent statements that make someone appear to be a liar. And once someone is lying and they have to acknowledge a lie at some point, it's, it's just a goldmine for the prosecution. So... When you're justified, when you haven't done something wrong, still... Or even when you have. Or even when you have, of course, <laughs> when you have. Do not give that statement. I mean, also, like, when you experience something traumatic or, like, high levels of stress like that, like, your brain as a coping mechanism literally can, like, black out a, an experience or, like, protect your, your psyche in some way. 
and therefore like you know for like the case with like a woman or you know that's like coming within an inch of her life being beaten and stuff you know like if you have those inconsistencies like it could even be without like that you're trying to lie it could be honestly that you don't really remember clearly what happened because you were in survival mode right absolutely or something like this even with alec baldwin you know it's like he just experienced something very traumatic when it happened i mean he could in his mind be like actually i don't know i don't think i pulled the trigger you know after after the fact or you know whatever doesn't necessarily need to be that they're maliciously trying to like cultivate some i'm sure it was very startling for him and it was chaos on the set and yeah you know you just you never know how people react again we've had we've represented war heroes that in the heat of a moment reacted very poorly after the fact or their memory was so skewed because it's being in that situation is so individual for a person that you can't Mm -hmm. just sit back and Monday morning quarterback it and go, oh, you should have done better. You should have exercised with extreme caution and calculation. And every breath you take is is microanalyzed. It's just not realistic. But it'll be fascinating to see how this case plays out. I mean, there will be this prelim. There should be some cross-examination of law enforcement, lead, lead case officer. I mean, I just can't imagine a trial with Alec Baldwin telling what happened very remorsefully as a terrible, tragic accident. I mean, just, that would be not anything I would be wanting to deal with as a prosecutor. Um, Unless your whole point was to have your moment in the sun cross-examining Alec Baldwin. That is true. That is true. I think moral of the story here is... Don't talk to police, especially if your name is Alec. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to end kind of here tonight, um, but we will probably circle back as this, you know, continues to trickle along um, to the Alec Baldwin case. We haven't discussed next week's episode yet, so what the topic will be, we don't know. Maybe you have an idea of what you would like us to discuss. We've been... Covering um, Stephen Smith, uh, we have about two episodes on that, but you know more has been coming out recently in regards to that. Um, so we may circle back to Stephen Smith next week, unless listeners, you have a case that you are dying for us to cover. Um, we'd be happy to do that uh, perhaps next week. Just send us a message on any of our social media platforms. Um, if you miss any bits of this episode, you can catch the full audio posted to all streaming platforms pending Apple. Um, hopefully, maybe by tomorrow, we'll be on Apple. I don't know. Come on. Um, come on. And YouTube to catch the video version if you like looking at us. Um, and again, if you enjoy this content, want to see more of it, we would love your donation. Um, you can do that on Buy Us a Coffee. It's an app, but you can find the links to do that directly on any of our social media platforms. Again, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, obviously, um, and YouTube. So we will see you all what, next week. Wait, what about our MySpace? Oh, our MySpace recently <laughs> just gotten taken down. <laughs> um, yeah, it was so unfortunate. Um, LOL. No pun intended, LOL. Anyways, thank you all so much as always, and we will see you all next week. 
Um, bring the jury. Bring, bring the, the jury. Bring the bring jury. Bring the jury. Bring the jury.